We are now just two weeks away from the NBA's trade deadline. There are rumors that James Harden has interest in joining the Sixers over the summer, and Joel Embiid continues to play at an MVP caliber level. It's been a little while here since we have podcasted, but we have plenty to talk about. Enjoy the show. All right, welcome everybody. This is Derek Bodner, joined by Rich Hoffman on the Sixers Beat, a part of the Athletics Podcast Network. Rich, it has been a minute since I have asked this question to you, at least over a podcast. How you doing, buddy? It's great to be back, my friend. The uh, I guess we need to recap what has been going on since... Uh... Since we last, yeah, I mean, I you know, December second was our last podcast. That was legitimately a month and a half ago at this point. You know, so I guess real quick, um, first because I think some people are probably a little bit confused, but also just to quite frankly apologize. Uh, the plan was not to take a month and a half break in the middle of the season. You know, obviously I left the Athletic as a writer back in early December to launch the Daily Six newsletter, uh, DailySix.com. That's still very much the case. Nothing in that regard is changing. But the plan was always to keep Sixers beat at the athletic and specifically to continue podcasting with Rich. You know, we had that all lined up before I even left the company. Um, that was always the plan that was never changing. But, you know, the athletic had this other deal in progress with, you know, a crossword puzzle company. <laughs> and that just sort of pushed back our ability to announce this and to move forward with it. So that was the cause of the delay. It was always going to end up that we were going to continue podcasting together. It just took a little longer for us to get there than I expected. So I apologize for that. You know, but longtime listeners of this podcast will know that, you know, Sixers Beat existed long before Rich and I joined The Athletic. Um, in fact, I think Rich and I have been podcasting together since 2014. Uh, so it was always a priority to keep that together. You know, there is nobody else I would rather talk to about this crazy, frustrating, wacky team than rich hoffman and i'm very happy that we get to continue to do so and i am looking forward to it so nice to be back rich yeah and as far as the sixers are concerned i would first off i would echo all of those um the sentiments from you so what has happened since then so well, Joel Embiid, I, I just looked it up in the 24 games since Sixers 17 and 7 by the way Joel Embiid is averaging 32 and a half points per game and shooting 54% from the field, which, I mean, maybe we were the problem. Maybe we shouldn't be podcasting. <laughs> I Look, if, if he has a bad game against the Lakers tomorrow <laughs> yeah. night or something catastrophic happens, you can safely say that it was our fault. He is, he is playing at an unbelievable level. I'm sure we'll talk about that. Um. Ben Simmons got traded too, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, the great thing is, all right, so we took we took a month and a half off of podcasting. We get back into it and we're right into should the Sixers trade Ben Simmons for James Harden? Which, gosh, it just, like, if you want to just put us right back into our comfort zone and something we are familiar with, this Groundhog's Day that we're living through is the perfect spot to go to because we've had this discussion before. We've talked about it for months on end, and it seems like we are destined to continue talking about that. So I think, yeah, I think those are probably the two places we're going to catch up today on Joel being amazing and then the Harden discussion. Let's let's do it in that order. 
too. Let's start with Joel being amazing, kind of flow into how good this team is with him, because there has been a lot of discussion about that over the past month and a half that I'm sure we would have had 30 times on, on the pod if we uh, if we had just kept powering through. So let's uh, let's catch up, uh, I, I guess, in, you know, in an hour or so. Um, let, let, let me let me start with this question for you. Do you believe Joel Embiid when he said, I think we have enough to win? That was, I think that was after they beat the Celtics a couple yeah. weeks ago. I think he said that it, all these games blend together at this point, but it was after, I think, yeah, it was after the one game in the last 15, he didn't score 30 points in slacker. Uh, and he said, yeah, I think we basically have enough to win. Do you believe him? I believe that Joel Embiid believes that. I don't think he's just saying something to make Daryl Morey's job easier. Do I think that they do? No, I don't. Um, I still look at this team and I think they are a, a very significant piece away. And that will drive a lot of conversation we have around the trade deadline. I still think they are a very significant piece away. I don't think Joel Embiid, Tobias Harris, another sub all-star player, and Tyrese Maxey is enough to win a championship, uh, especially not in how strong the Eastern Conference is. But I think that superstar players and Joel Embiid right now, like he is a bona fide superstar MVP candidate playing as well as anybody in the world right now. There needs to be a term, by the way, there needs to be a term above superstar. We we use that too liberally. No, he's he's graduated to whatever the, the level above right. that is. Sorry, keep going. People of that stature tend to believe that they can accomplish just about anything because why the hell wouldn't he? Like eight years ago, this dude barely knew how to dribble a basketball. So yeah, I think he probably believes that he can contend for a championship. Um, and look, a lot of times when you have the best player in the world, you have a chance. It's just, and look, there's a little bit of uncertainty because of Kevin Durant and his injury. But when Kevin Durant has James Harden and that supporting cast, and Giannis has that supporting cast that has already done it, and look, people say, oh, you don't need two stars because Giannis won it. Well, Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday are a pretty substantial step up from what the Sixers have. When you have Steph and a supporting cast that he has, no, I don't think one superstar, even one playing at an MVP caliber level, gives you good odds to win a championship. Like, is there, could something crazy happen? Sure. But is he going to be able to win that many series in a row? No, I don't think they're a, a serious threat to win a championship right now. So uh, agree with that sentiment. But what you said initially to me is interesting because that's a huge part of the Sixer season is... How on board with this is Joel? What is his, there's just a tolerance level, you know, what is Daryl Morey's tolerance level to make a non-superstar yeah. trade? What is Joel's tolerance level to play with this uh, supporting cast? And not, not, not the, even the supporting cast. What is his tolerance level to, to play with $30 million being lit on fire on the bench and giving them absolutely nothing? What What is his um, willingness to do that? Would you say and though? Gosh, you that pointed out last night. Um, he has so little margin for error. Like he came out, he joked after the game that he was load managing in the first half. If he comes out and he's not completely dominant on either end of the court, they just they can lose to anyone. Um, it really is supporting cast needs a lot of help. Yeah, and that's part of the reason why I agree with you. They're not a contender. I mean, they, look, they're going to have some good games where I'm sure they'll beat contenders when, you know, Curry's making shots and, uh, you know, they get a good Tobias game. I mean, that's the other scary thing about last night's game is that they got a very good Tobias game. They got Joel playing elite basketball on 
on offense the whole game, on defense for half the game, and it's still yeah. like nip and tuck the whole <laughs> yeah. way through against the against the Pelicans team missing, I don't know, five of their best players on the second night of a back to back. Yeah, so that's the margin for error is low, and yeah, you would think him being able to load manage for a half would be something that he could get away with from time to time. But no, like you're down by eight to the Pelicans if he load manages on defense for a half. Uh, but back to your point, I so I personally think it's important that he believes that that they're good enough to win a championship, though, because that to me would say he's okay going through the rest of this season with this group. Yeah. Because that's, look, if if we had been doing the pod over the past couple months, the question, there would have been one pod, the title would have been, are the Sixers wasting Joel Embiid's prime? Get this guy some help, because I swear that it's been the entire conversation after they win, after they lose, because regardless of what they do, he's putting up 30-something points and playing incredible basketball, and it's, you know, Daryl Morey is a war criminal for not making a a trade. All of these things. Uh, a lot of this boils down to like, I'm is Joel Embiid okay that with this? tiny little bit and use that to promote the podcast of you calling Daryl Morey a war criminal. Yeah. No, no, no. I'm quoting people <laughs> asking if he's a war criminal. There probably are some people who, who have said that. Uh, I've been reading social media too much over the past month. You know, that's what... Uh, that's what I do when I don't podcast for, for two hours a week. <laughs> well, I'm glad we got you back to doing something you can be productive doing. Yeah. So, but but that's a, a big part of this. Like, is Joel Embiid on board? And I think, I think you can at least argue that he knows how to play the the media game. He's always known how to play the media game pretty well. But like, what is he actually thinking about this? Like, does he actually think they are wasting uh, a year of his prime? Is he on board with the Super, we need a superstar to change our championship odds. Like, is he in the the front office room with Daryl Morey, like looking at potential trade targets and saying, "Ooh, that, that makes us a, an eight percent chance to win a title" and something like that? Um, I don't know. The, uh, I, but but to me, to me, I, I do think like his how content he is with this roster and carrying this level of responsibility for a team that, like you said, I mean, I, I think deep down he's got to know. It's not his fault, but uh, they're they're not winning three rounds in the yeah. East in the in the playoffs. Um, I think that's important. I think, and I I, I do think right now he. I, I think two things. I think one, he has a lot of confidence in himself. But two, I think Joel Embiid has always looked at the game and at a sport from a team building perspective. Like he really has looked at it through the eyes of a GM a lot. It seems like, and I think he understands that. Look even a percent chance at James Harden is going to make a much bigger chance than getting Buddy healed right now. Like, I think he's he's smart enough of a basketball mind, a student of the game, to understand that and to take that risk. I don't doubt that behind the scenes, he's giving Daryl Morey all the leeway he needs to see this out through to the summer. My only concern, and I don't think it's something that Joel Embiid could even know right now, but like, how much would a first-round exit sting? Like how much tougher would it, it's sort of like the process and, you know, the Sixers ownership group living through that a lot tougher than greenlighting it in the first place. Joel Embiid greenlights it now. Is it a little tougher to actually live through that reality than what he's expecting? And I, I th- I'm a little bit concerned about that, but I also think if it is tougher, he's not going to blow shit up in May and derail what well, Daryl Morey wants to do in June and July. Um, and, I think he'll get real. Like the big, the big difference leave. between those two is that the first round exit is quick and sudden and you're in the off season already when that right. happens. 
losing 60 games just completely sucks for four months. Uh, so that would be the big difference there. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then uh, what I was getting there, I think even if, even if that worst case scenario happens and Joel Embiid is frustrated, Daryl will have the off season to fix it. I don't think expect yeah. like Joel to like ask out. I, th- I think the downside is much less severe in the short term. Oh yeah. I think he's making like, like the calculus inside of his head that's happening now. Right. Like after the, uh, Trade deadline, like he gets it, it's over. I, I do think it's funny that you pointed out, and I, and I think you're right about this, that he views team building probably more than any superstar you've ever seen. Like that's he's a product of his environment. If everybody was drafted by Sam Hinkie and had to be put on ice because of his injuries for a couple of years, <laughs> yeah. as the uh, as his team lost a billion games and they acquired all of these draft picks and young players and signed all of these cheap contracts. I, uh, it'd, it'd be funny if, if the entire league was instead of just talking about, you know, basketball, like actually had the, uh, the, the front office expertise that Embiid seems to have. Yeah, yeah. Imagine, so imagine a- how much better the Lakers would be if LeBron would have had that early in his career. <laughs> instead of building whatever the fuck they built out there. Exactly. LeBron. I mean, he, uh, you know, you never know. He maybe he would have, been, maybe he would have had more championships than Michael Jordan if he uh, if he took the Sam Hinkie uh, route for a couple of years instead. I don't know, but I, I do think there is the the other difference between this two is like I, I do think Joel, in terms of like keeping himself interested, the fact that they are so limited in some aspects, I, I think he legitimately views this as a challenge and how good can I make this team? Which I think in the regular season, you can you know. You could be like a top three seed if things go right, and he continues to play lights out. And you know what you could get if uh, if the Sixers are a top three seed and he continues to play lights out? He could win the, the National Basketball Association Most Valuable Player Award. And I do think like th- there is something to be said for him realizing that the Sixers are kind of in this intermediate year. They're in a little bit of a holding pattern. And for him to just try and go for the individual awards. And I, and I think there is... Something to that, like you, you. It's clear that he's finding on this team some little side projects that are keeping him interesting. I so like I think we talked about this uh, right about when we stopped potting. You know, can him and Maxi become like a good pairing together? I, I'm not saying they're the uh, the new Redick and Embiid. No, I'm not saying they're going to win a title. They've made a ton yeah. of progress, man. And Joel said it last night. That little pick and roll they run on the middle of the floor. Maxi's got that. That pocket pass down. Teams are, he's going to start faking that pass and two guys are going to start jumping in and beat. He's going to start getting layups on that. Yeah. Which is great. And he's got like a little bit of a short roll game going that we've been asking for for years. But like, you know, Jackson, Frank, and credit to him, like he pointed out where Joel Embiid was redirecting everyone on the court. Uh, Well, on that play was a a short pick and roll with Tyrese Maxey where he then kicked it out to the corner after the defense collapsed on him. Like he is becoming more comfortable uh, catching the ball on the move uh, and making decisions on the move. And that is huge for that pair. That's huge. He's, he's never going to be like, you know, a pogo stick. He's never going to be Clint Capella, you know, dunking lobs, but he can be terrifying in his own right for sure. And nor is Maxi going to be Trey Young throwing those sure. lobs. But uh, it's been cool. It's been cool to see two guys who, yeah, it, it's not the easiest fit in the world, but just use their talent. And they, they've, certainly made a lot of progress and that's been cool to see. And, and I will say just as like an observer of this team, 
Because there were times in December, in late November, where it was like, oh my gosh, I got to watch 55 more of the, this team, like 55 more games. Like I, I'm not sure I'm able to do that. Joel Embiid has made that pretty easy to do because like at the very least, you might see some ridiculous drumming minutes. You might see some non-Embiid lineups where Korkmaz is running a pick and roll with like three seconds left on the shot clock because they can't get in anything. At the very least, you're seeing Embiid play basketball at just such a high level. And the degree of skill, the degree of, I mean, like, like, look, some of it is skill. We talked about the the pick and roll. It's, it's like death and taxes territory when he gets the ball at the free throw line. Now that's just, that seems like it's automatic. The other thing he's doing is he's getting great low post position too. And he's, you know, he's getting these seals and duckins where he just catches the ball underneath the basket. And the guy is, you know, he could either foul him or he can give up two points. And what, what's so really incredible to me is that he's not, you know, in years past his fourth quarters, he would be gassed. He's not gassed at all. And he's playing what I think 20 games in a row. Uh, the next one will be. Which yep. doesn't, as you pointed out on, on Twitter and in your article, doesn't happen all that often. Uh, he's only uh, he's only done it twice, by the way. The the first or he, he's only done nineteen games twice. The first one, game nineteen, ran into Markel Fultz's shoulder <laughs> with his face. So last night's game was a little bit better than that. I would say <laughs> that's number one. The only other time was the beginning of the 2018-19 season when they had traded for Jimmy during that stretch. But you remember, like the first fifteen games when they didn't have Jimmy. That team was not playing well. Like Dario was shooting like shit. Cove was not playing quite as well. Um, so and and Joel was playing crazy good basketball, and he just wanted to keep playing. By the end of that, he was completely gassed. Yeah. And by the end of that season, he was hurt. And part of the reason he kind of has alluded to over uh, over the past few years is that he pushed himself too hard yeah. over those years. So is that still a little bit of a worry for me? Yeah, absolutely. Like you've, you've brought it up a few times when he makes these kamikaze drives down the, uh, down the court. Like, could he get hurt doing that stuff? Yeah. But, but I will say like to his credit, by the end of that stretch, he was completely gassed. He does not look no. completely gassed right now. And he looks, he looks kind of bouncy, at least for him. Obviously you're right. Not a pogo stick player, but like he looks athletic and he looks, he looks good. Like physically, he is, he does not look like he's in the fourth quarter of games, no matter how many minutes he's playing, no matter how often his Sixers are playing, he doesn't look gassed. I have never been able to say that at any point in his career up to this point. Um, do I still worry? Yeah, I, I worry about everything. So that's probably not a fair barometer, but yeah, I still worry a little bit, but I feel more at ease with him playing on a night in night out basis. I'd still love to get him a game or two off here and there, or at least a couple of blowouts, some old school load management. But Joel Embiid very clearly, uh, you know, I think he's annoyed that he didn't win MVP when he feels like he deserves it. I think from a couple of years ago, he's annoyed he didn't get uh, an all-league honor when he felt like he deserved it because the game's missed. I think he's gunning for that clearly. And also the Sixers need him to win every game that they can. So I get that he's not going to sit very often. Uh, and I'm more at ease, not completely at ease, but more at ease with that than I've ever been. And I feel like yeah. right, right now we just jinxed it and he's something's going to happen. And again, you can blame us because that, that's fair. By the way, I said this last year. They got to change the All NBA requirements. This, if he gets second team and has like, maybe he doesn't play quite this well the rest of the season. By the way, the the other part of this that's a little bit, little bit unsaid. It does, you know, it's not um, it's not to take away a ton from Embiid, but they've they've played some pretty shitty teams. Oh over yeah, the past hundred percent, hundred percent. I mean, that goes into our our are they a contender status? Well, they've. I mean, look, 
And credit them, like they're beating up on shitty teams. But when you get to real legit playoff caliber teams, can they win four series? No, not not even close to being that. Um, but Joel yeah. Embiid, I think, is going to beat up on pretty much every matchup. Like I, I think it's much more that the team has found success against shitty teams. Joel, Joel's success, I think, is going to largely carry over. Yeah, and it's you know you're going to have people who who say too when it comes to the the team building aspect of it. That I know I've I've heard people who've made this point. And look, I'm not completely arguing with this because it's an understandable sentiment. They they're saying that if you can get him any sort of help and just upgrade from the complete zero you're getting from Ben Simmons to even pretty good, a couple of players, one player, I don't even know, that he could be the best player in every playoff series he plays. And I oh, look, yeah. I think that's fair. Like he's, <laughs> I know he still has something to prove in the playoffs, but I would have trouble picking against him not being the best player in a playoff series right now. Yeah. No, it's 100% fair. 100%, and look, like you, uh, I think it is going to become more difficult for him than most other top options in the playoffs. But he's grown so much as a face-up threat. You know, he's he's right now playing like a seven-foot-two Kevin Durant. So yeah, I think a lot of that's going to translate. It really is. His skill level development over the last couple of years has been astounding. I think we we almost have to retire that though. It's like oh, uh, you know, post-up players in the playoffs like they're going to struggle a little more. So you know, this Sixers team for all of their flaws. They at least have like some decent spacing when their their sure. normal guys are playing. Um, that's the one thing that they have going for them. So that the post ups are a little bit easier. But it's like you said, he doesn't even give a shit about post. Like he doesn't need post ups. He could do that hang dribble at the free throw line and score fifteen points a game on that. Yeah. It's uh, you know, what is he shooting from three right now? Thirty eight percent. Now he's like he's being a little bit selective with those. He's still not taking a billion of them. But man, I mean, he just. He's in such a crazy rhythm. It's, uh, you know, whether he shoots that that Dirk uh, one footer, or he's got the he's got the fadeaway on the baseline if he wants it. You know, last night I, you know, he uh, he goes old school and he says, "All right, I'm gonna take 20 free throws tonight, and that'll be uh, that'll be that." He's just he's blending the the easy bully ball points with the easy skill level points, like the easy. Uh, the jumpers in people's faces. I, I think the key word is just easy. And yeah. it's, uh, and that's part of the reason too, why when we start talking about, you know, what to do at the trade deadline. All right, look, I get it. Lower body injuries, big man, terrifying, yada, yada, yada. Get all that. His offensive game should age really well. Like no one's ever going to be able to contest that mid range jumper. No, He's going to be no able way. to get to his spots. He's not going to need to be an elite athlete to get a lot of these shots off. Now, defensively, is he going to take a step back if he loses his athleticism? Yeah, but he's, I think he's, and again, catastrophic injury is always a concern. I get it, but I think he has an offensive game that should age pretty well. And he's also only 27. You're right, though. That doesn't get discussed enough. I I understand it's the, you know, the injury history and, that's a concern of everybody's, but I, I don't think it gets talked about enough that this dude, he's not getting any shorter. <laughs> no. I don't think he's getting any worse at shooting for a while. He's probably only going to get a little bit better at it as he ages because he works really hard at it and he's a super smart player. Um, it seems like he has adjusted to the basketball a little bit, you know, at and, the beginning of the season. By the way, he's that, that's a unsaid part too. He's a super smart basketball player. And one of the things that struck me when he first came in the league was he was an incredibly smart 
defensive player. Like his read and react skills on defense were incredible for somebody who had such little basketball experience. The offense took a little longer to get there. Uh, and, and diagnosing double teams and rotations, just it took a little bit more time. Uh, but now you're starting to see a lot of that uh, basketball IQ come into play on offense too. And there's just no good way to really try to slow him down right now. And that understanding of the game should only get better for a player who works that hard. If we went back in the archives, maybe back to like 2019. I Don't ever do 18. that. You never go back and listen to old podcasts. Bad idea. Bad idea. But but I do remember you pointing this out. I think it was in 1819 or 1920 where you were like, man, he might be one of the most overrated offensive players in the league right now, while, while still understanding how good he is. But like you, you were right in that he wasn't driving efficient offense. Like he wasn't scoring within kind of the team construct quite as well as the top level superstars do. Well, I mean, holy shit, that's happening right now. Yeah. No, his the combination of skill development and um and and just understanding of the game has has grown exponentially. A lot of credit to him, Drew Hanlon, the six coaches who've been working with him throughout the years. Um it's just it's so crazy that he and look, we we knew he was going to be awesome if he stayed healthy. Like that was apparent. I I tell the story a lot of you know, watching him warm up before the games and saying it's over if he's healthy. I, I did not. I, I can't in good conscience say that I expected him to be like no, a seven foot two not. Durant, like kind of like leading the offense, pointing people in the right direction. That degree of skill development. Like we talk about player development a lot when it comes to like, you know, a, a bench player becoming a starter. Or, you know, a a fringe starter becoming, I don't know, like a $20 million a year guy, like that type of thing. Embiid's skill development is just a wild story. (laughs) You're right. He's gotten so much better. We tend to talk about skill development. Like you said, marginal players getting better, that's skill development. Superstars reaching another level, that's destiny. Like, that's almost how we phrase it. It's not destiny. Like, Joel Embiid has put in a lot of work to become the player that he is. Um, and it's, it's, it complete. I mean, obviously it completely changes the franchise. All right. So let's move on to a little bit more focus on the trade deadline, specifically the recent developments of the James Harden rumors. This all sort of started off with a report from Sham Sharania and Sam Amick from the crossword puzzle company. Uh, and that was basically saying that the Sixers prefer to wait to trade Simmons until the summer in order to pr- pursue James Harden, that the Kings and the Hawks have been the team's most engaged in Simmons talks, but that other teams don't expect more to drop his asking price, in part because he has a preference of waiting for James Harden. That was then followed up with a report from old friend uh, Jake Fisher, who you should go buy his book on on on. Built to Lose, go buy his book, Built Built to Lose. Uh, but he wrote for Bleacher Report, uh, and basically it was a little bit of the same, but he outlined a bunch of the problems that James Harden has with the Nets, in part Kyrie Irving's part-time status, in part Steve <laughs> Nash's play calling, um, other considerations like weather and taxes, which Philadelphia can't really rectify there. But he did also then report that... Um, it is belie- I, I don't have it in front of me, so I'm sort of paraphrasing, but that there is some interest in Harden's, from Harden's perspective, to play with Joel Embiid. That part was, I believe, confirmed then by Keith Pompey. And then I think it was uh, Kendrick Perkins uh, said that he had heard, 
I haven't actually listened to it, but apparently Kev- Kendrick Perkins sort of confirmed some of that about uh, James Harden's interest in playing for the Sixers. A lot of the talk has been that Daryl Morey really just doesn't want to make a trade right now and that he wants to push this until the summer uh, because Harden is his goal. I guess, how much of that are you buying and how realistic do you think this is as a possibility? I'm buying it uh, to a a decent extent. I mean, what what do we know about Daryl Morey? That basically his offer, the, the other teams have said, that his asking price for Ben Simmons is sky high. Like, it's not just Tyrese Halliburton and Harrison Barnes. It's like it's like one of those guys and a bunch of picks, too, that, that he values Ben Simmons at that level. And I guess the other thing you uh, we didn't mention about what has happened over the past couple of months, Daryl Morey went on, uh, on 97.5 yeah. The Fanatic again and gave a, I would say, a murkier message because he was contradicting himself a little bit with, oh, well, maybe we can get a top 40 player for yeah. uh, for Joel because he's playing that well. But also, championship odds are huge, and we need a superstar-level player, um, which is which is fine. Um, but do I think, like, Daryl Morey would really like to reunite James Harden and Joel Embiid? I think that's probably true, yeah. uh, considering... We know Daryl Morey tried like hell to trade Ben Simmons for James Harden. I don't know. What what are we at? A year ago yeah. at this point? Yep. That it, you know, it, the, the years kind of blend together with the compressed <laughs> uh compressed time frame. Well, with the compressed time frame and also the deja vu aspect of, oh my god, he's trying to train trade Ben Simmons for James Harden in January. Been here before. Been here Which before. by the way, that uh you know, I think when that trade didn't go through one of the things we wondered about was how would Ben Simmons react? How's Ben Simmons going to react to this? And for a while it was Ben Simmons is reacting. Okay. He's making the all-star team. He's, he's putting it past him. Well, Ben Simmons that didn't react. Not quite to the level as the Sixers would hope. Uh, and I think that was certainly part of it. Um, yeah. I, I, do I believe it? Yes. But, but I, I guess the, the question is like, is there an offer before the trade deadline that can trump whatever the, the possibility of James Harden, because I, I'll say this to, to your second question. Is it likely? Uh, I mean, first off, James Harden wants to play, has to want to play here. Then you have to convince the nets that James Harden is going to walk regardless to another team. And by the way, if I'm not mistaken, there's not like a lot of teams yeah. with cap space this uh, this offseason, which makes things a little bit interesting there. The Nets probably have to completely flame out in the playoffs, which like I know they're they're struggling, they're scuffling a little bit right now. Part of the reason they're scuffling is uh, Kevin Durant's not uh, yeah. not playing for them. And this isn't like getting learned- green out of the lineup. Like this is a little different. Yeah. What I learned from last year is that if James Harden and Kevin Durant are healthy in a playoffs. I'm still probably picking them to win the title. And they weren't healthy last year. Um, Harden wasn't healthy. And they still were probably, what, like a toenail away from maybe winning the championship. Um, so there's a lot of things that have to go in the Sixers, uh, go the Sixers way. I guess, uh, I guess we'll see, man. I, I you know, I, um, I, I believe that Daryl would like to do this. I, I think if you have a chance to go get James Harden, you should do it. But, there is a part of me that's wondering, like, 
is it feasible? Is it likely? And that's what he has to, uh, has to balance. It. Yeah. Uh, you know, certainly I think is Daryl completely blocked himself from trading Ben Simmons at the deadline? No, I don't think that, but it would take, you know, a really big package of players and picks to give him flexibility to pursue a second trade down the line, specifically a second trade for James Harden, but a second trade for a star in general. Um, I think Daryl Moore is preparing for the eventuality that a star isn't available at the trade deadline. And I think a lot of it comes down to how can he position himself for the next move? Uh, so I think right now, James Harden is at the center of those hopes. I don't think it's necessarily just all about James Harden. Cause I agree with you. The biggest risk right now is the Nets just win it all. It's very tough to walk away from a team that wins a championship or even gets to a championship. Like we, I remember having this conversation about the run it back team, uh, back in 2019. Well, if that Kawhi shot doesn't go in, they advance to the conference finals, maybe advance to the finals, even win a championship. How different are all the decisions that come after that from Jimmy's willingness to stick around with Brett Brown and in a co-point guard offense with Ben Simmons to the Sixers willingness to prioritize Jimmy and the risks that come along with that um, to, to everything. Like how does that change everyone's decision-making because walking away from a championship is very, 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 very tough, especially for a player like James Harden, who's gotten close a bunch of times and has never gotten past that threshold. So I think the biggest determining factor is, is going to be something that's completely outside of Daryl Moore's control. And I think we'll focus a lot on, well, what would the Nets want in a trade package back? Yada, yada, yada. Well, you don't really need to worry about that too much because the main concern is can James Harden convince the Nets that he will walk, walk to San Antonio, walk to a team with cap space and say, Hey, I'm either walking to San Antonio or you're getting value back from the Sixers. It's your call, but you'd be a freaking idiot not to take something. Um, So a lot of that's going to come down to is James Harden willing to walk away from the Nets? And if he does, I think the Sixers have a real shot. I think there's been a lot of smoke about James Harden and his desire to play alongside Joel Embiid. It makes sense from a basketball standpoint why that would work. Certainly, there's a lot of talk about James Harden's comfort level having a team built around him by Daryl Morey, but he the first step there is going to be the toughest to get away from, and that's, does James Harden want away from the Nets? And there's certainly been some smoke to that here recently. I'm not close enough to the Brooklyn situation to really know whether or not that's true, but some good reporters have reported that there's smoke, but how this plays out here over the next couple of months is going to be huge and daryl just has no control over any of that and it's tough because that's the situation the sixers were in last offseason when they were batting their eyes at damian lillard hoping he would uh he would come free and, and you know what he was under contract when when james harden had the sixers in his his list and by the way i think the sixers were legitimately in james harden's list uh, i don't think he was just using them to get to brooklyn um but you have to you can't be runner up you have to actually win it you have to win it yeah, and I, and I would understand why James Harden would be frustrated with the uh, with the Brooklyn situation. Kyrie Irving only plays at half the games <laughs> because he won't get vaccinated. That's a that would piss me off. And with the uh, with Kevin Durant being out now, James Harden is getting his teeth kicked in a little bit. With you know, I, I, there was part of Fisher's report was that he doesn't like the rotations that Steve Nash is playing. Well, that's what happens. I when might, only have a couple good players because you have a. Uh, Star heavy lineup, yeah, yeah, and I think that's that's going to be um, that's got to be part of it is that they just can't get you know a, a core group of players that are are kind of worth building together without KD in there. Yeah, it, it's interesting. I mean, like the idea though that 
Maury can build the team better around Harden than the Nets can? I don't know. I mean, like well, I, you I, just said it is what is Embiid is essentially Durant, but two inches and 80 pounds, uh, two inches taller and 80 pounds heavier. Like, I mean, you're still seeding a decent amount of the ball. Now, oh, sure. could Embiid play better defense than Durant and be a little more impactful there? Yeah, I think that's probably true. Um, but the idea that hard, it's not going to be like, it wouldn't be like Houston where Harden would just have the entire offense and can have the highest usage rate in the league and, you know, dribble the ball around for a million, you know, a million possessions in a row. I, I don't think it's going to be like that. Um, it, it's, I don't know. I, the one thing I am confident about with Maury, I don't think he really cares about this season. No, I, I would agree. I, I think like, like, so he has to like talk like they have a chance. I think deep down he knows they don't have a chance. It's not a realistic chance. And if he makes a deal at the deadline this year, I I would say either he got forced to, whether it was Embiid or or the Sixers ownership and franchise, which there's been no indication that that has happened yet. And frankly, like the Sixers are winning enough games where it's not like, uh, it's not like bringing Jerry Colangelo in because they're losing a billion games and Okafor is, you know, getting arrested every other uh every other week here so there's not that type of external pressure um but i think if he makes a trade in the coming weeks here it's it's not going to be because of that like it's going to be because he thinks it's the best thing the sixers can get for the next few years um but like and, and i will say like a lot of these heavy picks packages are that's kind of interesting to me because they have fought back on that. We, we've always talked about the idea of like having to make two trades, you know, to to have a bridge trade where you you get maybe a player and a bunch of assets. They fought back on that pretty hard the whole yep. time. Now, look, they also it, the, their their reality has changed. It's it's been a whole freaking season, and they still can't get off Ben Simmons' contract. So uh, I don't know. Yeah, I think it's real interesting. Um, because when you look at what teams would have an interest what teams would prioritize ben simmons over a couple extra draft picks i think you have two sort of archetypes of teams you have teams like the timberwolves who have been in you know stuck in quicksand for a very long time and desperately want to get out of it especially if they have a star level player um who is frustrated so teams like that i think it's teams like the nets very specifically the nets who have a lot of scoring already who have a lot of half court go-to options who need the most versatile defender on the planet. Uh, I think Ben would actually be a really good fit with the nets. Um, so I think they're the one team who would be, you know, I think most teams who are auctioning off a star wouldn't have, I almost say wouldn't have interest in Ben Simmons, but wouldn't prioritize Ben Simmons as much as Daryl Morey is valuing Ben Simmons. You know, if, if Portland wants to auction off Damian Lillard, I think you can make a case that a, a, a three more draft picks and maybe a swap or two would have more trade value to them than Ben Simmons would. Uh, most of the teams, like I said, that would have interest that would value Ben Simmons more than draft picks are teams like the Timberwolves who don't have what you're looking for. Yeah. Brooklyn's sort of like that one exception that might have what you're looking for and also would value Ben Simmons' skill sets more than they would draft picks. They're, they're a little bit unique and I wonder if that's part of why Daryl Morey is really hesitant to make that sort of like step trade where you get pieces back now and then flip them in the summer because he knows Brooklyn might off value Ben Simmons more. They're like the Sixers equals in that respect where, you know, 
if they are going to move off this star level player, and yes, James Harden is better than Ben Simmons for sure. Um, they want win now. Yeah, help back instead of a lot of these other teams where you would think they would rather have draft picks. Uh, yeah, it's uh, I- I'm not surprised to hear this smoke coming from uh from Brooklyn. It's been something that's kind of been whispered about for a uh for a while here. It just to me, it just seems like there there are still a few too many steps to uh to think through. And I if I were the Sixers, unless there was like some real kind of some real knowledge that they have that Harden is is a possibility and and he would be able to convince uh convince the Nets that he is going to walk. I'm not sure I would proceed like this is a guaranteed thing here. Yeah. And can we also we also point out I would go get Harden in a heartbeat like compared to a lot of these other players. He's not playing as well and he's above 30 years old. Uh just want to say like if you were getting this version of Harden, it's not the to MVP level that you would think from past years. You would you would really only have one MVP level player, and the problem is it would be the guy you already have. Yeah. No, but I, th- I think this version of Harden might be a little easier to slot in next to Embiid. You know, he's... I mean, look, he's playing a, a, a fantastic point guard game for the Nets right now. He's he's a really elite, and even if the... Look, I, the, I think he's down maybe 3 or 4% on three-point percentage. He's an elite level playmaker. And they just do not have anything even remotely approaching that on the roster right now. Um, but it's tough. I, he's I also watch him. 32. I watch him, and he's and his quicks have kind of yeah, these, evaporated a little bit. Yeah, but yeah. he's playing with terrible spacing on that team, which is weird to say because they have Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, but they don't usually have those guys, and the other guys don't space at all. Yeah. Uh, no, I think no. It's, I it's look. Fair. look no, not, no argument here. You go get Harden. We, yeah. we we went through this last year. You just you, you go get him. <laughs> it's you give him the big contract and you worry about it later. Um, but it is pointing out he's not the slam dunk MVP or MVP candidate. No. I think we have seen in. Uh, no, he's not. That's fair. That's fair. In past years, so you know, I think I think Daryl is banking on if Harden is available in the summer, then a lot of these offers that are available right now, he can still go out and get something comparable. And if he doesn't believe that they can contend for a title this year, then I think that's a risk he's willing to take. I think I'm probably mostly in agreement. I'm I'm very focused on getting a second star. So I'm willing to risk the Buddy Heels and the Harrison Barneses of the world. But there's certainly some risk to, to the strategy. Um, you just don't know who's going to become available. You don't know. And, I mean, we've seen that play out because we've been waiting for that star to become available now for seven months or whatever it is. And it is <laughs> maybe Daryl Morey won't find it painful. It it will be painful to watch them get blasted in the first or second yeah. round of the playoffs yep. if uh, if Ben Simmons is just chilling on the uh, on the sidelines. But you're right. Like it's I don't know th- this whole thing with are, are you wasting Joel's prime? Like it's one of those things where I see the arguments on both sides of it. Like on the one hand, I agree with Daryl Morey that with how Embiid is playing the next three to four years, five years, hopefully that, uh, that you try to maximize that because Embiid's not going to stop being a good player. On the other hand, like I understand the, a lot of the fan sentiment, a lot of just the internet sentiment of like, you're seriously just going to waste a year of this. Like you're not even going to try. Um, but, but I do understand from like Maury's perspective too, like, you know, this idea of like, get this guy some help. Like he's trying, like it's, but what happens if the help is, you know, 
Tyrese Halliburton and he gets locked up in the second round of the playoffs and you go, oh, well, we can't get him any more help now. Yeah. Uh, so I understand it. It's just the situation sucks. It just, it really sucks. No, I mean, look, I would love to say they have a championship caliber team around Joel Embiid and they should pursue additional help at any and all opportunity. Like legitimately building a championship caliber supporting cast around Embiid has been my primary and only real focus here over the last five years. It's just they've made so many mistakes. And right now, Tobias Harris is your highest paid player and your most consistent, not most consistent, but the person that Doc turns to most consistently to be their high-level perimeter scorer. And Tyrese Maxey is a second-year player. Like, there's just not enough. I, I, I get it. I get it. My argument isn't that they can... If you believe that they are wasting a year of Joel Embiid's prime, I don't think what they're going to get back in a trade this year is going to change that. My stance is that they've been wasting this year of Joel Embiid's prime because of decisions they made two, three years ago, four years ago, and so on. Yeah, and, and that's not great. I, I think that's a reasonable, reasonable way to look at it, which is why, to get back to the point, like if Maury makes a trade before the deadline, it's it's not going to be about this year. Yeah. It's just not. It's going to be that he thinks it's the best thing for the next four or five years. Maybe he thinks Harden isn't available. Maybe he thinks a lot of these star level players aren't there and that he can make it work with whatever uh, package of picks and players that, uh, that he can get. Yeah. And look, but I, I, but I don't think, I, I don't think he's going to make a trade and he's going to say, all right, now let's go time this, uh, this season. Here. Oh, well, I think he's going to say that at a press conference say day after he's the trade deadline. That, I don't though. think it's going to be true. We'll see. Well, there's plenty to talk about here over the next couple of weeks. I'm very glad that we are back on the quote-unquote air uh, and looking forward to talking about this crazy freaking team. It's a crazy team. Yeah. The whole we'll the whole about... color star thing happened while we were off the air, Rich. The whole color star thing. Oh, God. It's good to be back. It's good what an era back. that was, oh. too. Whew. All right. I think uh, I we're not going to start color star 50 minutes into our first podcast in month and a half anything else quickly you want to get off your chest before we hang up anything else i want to get off my chest um in a while you need to vent for a yeah. couple minutes you got you, you got the floor is yours mm, i don't know i would you ask that question to pop i don't <laughs> i would not have asked that question to zach Lowe. no no i wouldn't uh no, I don't have anything else to uh, to get off my chest. In. Amazing. Amazing. That's a conversation for a different day. Thank you, Rich, for jumping on, and we will talk to you soon. See you, man.